Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.5, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but on God's power. I so desperately want to open people's eyes to the power of God. So much of what's happening in, in the world today and in the church today is accomplished with words of human wisdom. You can go to church and you might get a good message or you might be entertained by a dynamic wordsmith, but very rarely do we see a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. We should be seeing evidence of the power of God in churches across America and in the lives of Christians everywhere. The blind should be seeing, the lame should be walking, the deaf should hear, sickness should be healed, demons should be cast out, and lives should be dramatically changed. I think the church has lost sight of the power of God and the fact that he wants to manifest it in our lives. He wants to manifest his power in and through us. And that's what I'd like to talk to you tonight, uh, about tonight. But would you just first pray with me? Father, I am so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for your Holy Spirit. That you didn't leave me as an orphan, Lord God. That, that you've given me your Holy Spirit to empower and equip me. I ask, Father, that you'd anoint me afresh with power from on high. That you would fill my mouth with your words, Lord God. That you'd help me to, to sift through these notes that I would only say what you want me to say. And, Lord, that, that your word would be so alive in this place tonight. I, I pray that your word would be effectual. I pray that it, that it would change lives, that it would penetrate hearts, Lord God. Father, I'm powerless without you. I, I, I don't care how much preparation I've had. Lord, I can do nothing without you. And so have your way in this place. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move through me, would move through this congregation, and that you would be exalted and magnified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go eat popcorn, that's how I remember it, but Ephesians chapter 1, I've been meditating on this passage this week, and, and I, I just want to read it to you. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, here's what I want you to see, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Talk about a spirit. We've been talking about evil spirits, but this is a spirit you want. This is a holy one. And there's a spirit of wisdom and revelation that will come upon us and grant us knowledge and insight, supernatural uh, understanding and wisdom. He will give us rhema revelation, aha revelation, and direction for our life. And it's all 
Paul says, so that we might know God better. I pray, he says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably, incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Don't miss this. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things, not some things, all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I want to talk to you tonight about the supernatural power available to the believer. I was planning on teaching on a spirit of heaviness. In fact, I, I prepared all week long for that message. But as I studied this week, the Lord impressed upon my heart that I can teach you all about the devil and his schemes. And if you don't understand power and authority, that the power and authority that you have access to in Christ Jesus, then all the insight you gain about demonic schemes uh, will not benefit you one bit. We must first understand the power that we have at our fingertips to stand against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 1.19 is a passage teaching us about the power of God. It's interesting to me that Paul uses four different Greek words for power in this passage. And these words beautifully describe the power that's available to us in Christ. I want to look at this passage a little bit more in detail. And Sarah, if you could put it up on the screen. Uh, Paul said that he's praying that the church at, at Ephesus would know, look at this, his incomparably, Sarah, there's one with uh, words in, nope, there's ones with words in, nope, in apostrophe, uh, yeah, just go back to that, to the scripture. Paul said he's praying that the church at Ephesus would know his incomparably great power. That word for power is dunamis. He says, I want you to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he goes on to say that power, and that word for power there is in ergaia. It's where we get our word energy. It looks like energy. So he says, I want you to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And that word mighty is ishus. And then strength is kratos. So there are four different words for power all used in this passage. And he said it's the same power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So we see those four main words, Greek words for power. Sarah, the next screen, you can see them listed there. And it's important that you realize that before Paul starts talking about this power that, that he wants the Ephesians church and the Ephesian church and us to understand, he begins several verses prior. And I read those to you, praying that his readers would know God intimately. 
Because he understands that, that, that we must increase our knowledge of God and his word so that we can understand all that God has available for us in Christ. He prayed that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they would know God better, that they would have rhema revelation into the things of God and that they would understand his purpose and his power for their life. I never opened this Bible until I asked the Lord to give me rhema revelation, to give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I might know him better. He prays that the eyes of their heart, their mind, would be enlightened with understanding, that they would have eyes to see truth, that they would have a mind to receive it, and that they would be able to comprehend all that is theirs in Christ Jesus. This is a supernatural book, and we need supernatural understanding when we go to it, and that's what Paul was praying for there. I'm convinced that, that, that there are things that are available to us spiritually that, that most of us don't even have knowledge of, and certainly that some of us haven't even tapped into. And that's what Paul was saying here. He was saying it's possible to, to be in possession of something, yet not fully possess it. He, he said to be given something and not comprehend what you've been given. You say, well, Rhea, what do you mean by that? Uh, turn over to Ephesians 1.3. Sarah, we have a, a, a slide for this. Ephesians 1.3 says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I want you to know that that word bless is past tense. It means it's a completed act. It means we have every blessing that we could have in the heavenly places in Christ. It's already done. We already have access to it. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. It's in our possession. And yet, very few of us ever tap into those blessings or even know about it. Paul says, I want you to fully possess what's in your possession. That's what he's praying for. I'm just going to tell you that we will never be at a loss uh, for, for, of God's power in our lives. It will always be available to us. However, we can be at a loss of understanding of the power we already possess. So I want to help you tonight to begin to understand the power that is ours in Christ. As I said, we have those four Greek words for power, and I want to look at them a little more closely. The first one is dunamis. Maybe you know this one. Uh, it, it means inherit power or capability or potential. It's where we get our word dynamite or dynam dynamic. It is miracle-working power. This word is used over and over and over in Scripture uh, in reference to Christ's miracles. And, and even though it's where we get our word dynamite, it's not explosive power so much as it is effective power. So, for example, if I threw a stick of dynamite, you will see the effects of that dynamite. Are you with me? And so God's explosive power in our life, his dynamus in our life, we should be able to see the effect of that power in our life. This is what concerns me about the church. We're not seeing his dunamis power at work in our lives. The next word, uh, it, it is, uh, it is uh, an, an ergaia, which means working or effective or active power. It's where we get our word energy. You can see it looks very much like the word energy. 
One commentator says it depicts the energizing force of the Spirit that empowers believers to live for the Lord. It means to act, to be operative, to, to be at work. It comes from two words, en, which means inside someone, and ergon, which means work. So it's God putting work, his work, inside us. It's so fascinating to me that this is the exact same word that, that's used in, in Hebrews 4.12 to describe the word of God. You know that scripture. The word of God is living and active. That word active is this word. And, and it means that God's word, when it's deposited in our heart and our mind, will be active inside of us, will begin a work inside of us. It energizes us. So I want you to think about that. The more word we put inside ourselves, the more access to God's power we have. It's interesting to me that this word is in the present tense, and it pictures the continual activity of God's power in our life. Colossians 1.29 uses both dunamis and ergaio in, in, in that verse. It says, for this purpose also I labor striving according to his power, dunamis, which mightily works, there's the word, energizes, continually within me. So we are laboring not with our own power. Some of you are exhausted because you're laboring with your own power. But we labor with God's power, and it is mightily at work within us. It's effectively at work within us. The next word, and Sarah, I believe we have a, a screen for that as well, is ishus. This refers to bodily or muscular strength in humans, but it also is inherent or vital power in God. It carries the idea of endowed power, gifted power. It describes the strength of God bestowed upon believers. It's inner strength. Can I tell you that God can give you inner strength in the midst of your circumstances? You can go through the most difficult circumstances with power because he will strengthen you. He will give you that inner strength that you need. It is the inherent ability which stresses the, the factually of the ability and not necessarily the accomplishment. That's important because it's a fact that we've been given this power, but it's up to us to tap into it and use it to accomplish what we need. A muscular man's big muscles might display his might even if he doesn't use them. My daughter Kendall is a CrossFit junkie, and um, she is strong, let me just tell you. And she's skinny, but she's strong. If you look at her, you can see evidence of it. We were with her a couple days ago, and she did one of these for me, and I couldn't believe the, 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 the muscles in her arms, and her back was just chiseled, and, and, and her thighs were, were massive, and, and I was just overwhelmed by the muscle in that girl and her muscles have stored strength they have stored power but that power just looking at her you don't realize it she sent us a video last night of her doing these things called push pressing I don't know if you know what that is it's when they get these big strong barbells <laughs> with huge weights on them and then they lift them up and then they lift them up and she does it so many times and and I said Kendall how much weight is on that and she said 95 pounds not a whole lot and I'm like you don't weigh much more than that 
And she could almost lift her body weight in repetition. She said, well, Mom, I can deadlift 185 pounds. The girl is strong. She's skinny, but she's strong. But, but you would never know that just looking at her because she has a reserved strength in those muscles. Issues is strength which a believer has in his possession or ability. It's reserved strength. It's God's latent power in a believer. It's dormant in us until we decide to use it. It's there and available until we utilize it. Little Skinny Kendall was with us. Uh, we were traveling a couple of weeks ago, and she was with us, and, and I was trying to get my suitcase in the trunk of the car, and I couldn't lift it high enough to get it in the trunk, and she came over, and she grabbed a hold of that thing like it was a feather, and she stuffed it in the trunk, and I thought, see, I didn't see her strength until she utilized it, and then it blew me away. That's God's, that is God's issues. It's his latent power that's available for you when you need it. It's hidden when not in use, but powerful when utilized. The last one is kratos. It's my favorite. It's demonstrated power. It's the, it's the word that's used in, in Ephesians 6.10 when it says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, in his kratos. It's the strongest kind of power known to man. And Paul uses that very word in this passage in Ephesians to say it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And guess what? It is available for us to use. It lives within us. It means dominion. It is the power, get this, to overcome what stands in the way. The power to overcome what stands in the way, to exercise dominion over it. It's the power which is able to overcome resistance. The enemy tries to, to, to come against you, and you can overcome him with this kind of power. My favorite term, though, is manifested dominion. So many of us want to tap into God's dominion because he rules. We get to rule with him, and, and he's given us power and authority to use his name. But here's how we want to do it. We want to live like hell all week long. We want to live however we want. We want to entertain the flesh. We want to disobey God. We want to disobey his word. And then we want to be able to lay hands on the sick and pray that they recover. It does not work that way. This is manifested dominion. It means that Christ has got to have dominion in us before we can use his dominion in this world. See, we want to be world changers. We want to be kingdom advancers. We want signs and wonders to follow us. But we don't want to obey God. Notice that this power, Ephesians 1 says, is at work in those who believe. It's not just believing that that power is there and available to us. It's believing in God, in his word, in his ways. It's belief that leads to obedience. We cannot, for, we cannot access this power and authority if we are not walking in obedience to the word. Some of you don't like that. I'm sorry, but it's truth. You can still be saved and going to heaven. But you can't access this power and authority. I've told you a million times, uh, we have two sons who are police officers. And my, my son in Minnesota, he, he has a badge and he has a gun and it's power and authority. The, the authority is his badge. The, the power behind it is his gun. 
You might not be big police people. I don't care. I'm just telling you. I'm using it as an illustration. But, but here's what I want you to know. That Tyler has got to obey the laws of the state of Minnesota. And he's got to obey his commander or he will be stripped of power and authority. They will take his badge and they will take his gun. And you and I need to obey the rules of the kingdom that we are in, that we represent, and, and our commander, or we'll be stripped of our power and our authority. We won't be stripped of our salvation, but we will be stripped of our power and our authority. So let me flesh out these four words for you. I, I read a bulldozer illustration that I thought was rather good. He says, by way of illustration, a bulldozer has the ability, capacity, and potential strength of rooting out trees. In one, one may sense its inherent strength just sitting, hidden. That's issues. But when the engine roars and it begins to move, its force of power, kratos, becomes active in air Gaia as it demonstrates its ability to topple trees in its path, dunamis. So do you see it? So the bulldozer sitting there has, has inherent power. It's not being used, but it's inherent. And, and then it starts its engine, and it begins to move. And, and then the, the force of its power, Kratos, becomes active to you. And, and you start to see it move. It's moving. It's active. It's an ergayo. And then it demonstrates its ability to topple trees, and that's dunamis. Do you see it? And all of those things are available to us. Cry, the cry of Paul's heart in this passage and his purpose of his prayer is, is that the, the church at Ephesus and us is that the, the mighty power of God would not just be head knowledge, that it would be actually be known and experienced to those who believe. It is one thing to know about God's power. It's another to experience in your life. It's one thing to know it's available. It's another to tap into it. And, and the church needs to start tapping in to the power of God. We need to start tapping into it. So let's go back to verse 19 and just look at this dunamis because he uses two words to describe the dunamis power of God, and I want you to look at those. In Ephesians 1.19, he says, I want the, the believers to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. Those words, exceeding greatness, look how he heaps word upon word to try to describe God's power. It's exceeding. It's great. That word exceeding is hyperbolo. It means to surpass in throwing, to throw over and beyond anything, to transcend. It means to excel or surpass. I'm telling you, Paul is saying that God's power at work in your life and mine will surpass anything that you've ever experienced. It will excel any other power in your life. And it's in the present tense, meaning it will continually, ongoing, habitually excel in your life. It's, it's great. That word is mega. It, it describes magnitude. It, it means it surpasses mega greatness. It's quality of exceeding a standard of excellence, and it's only used in reference with God's power. Some of your translations may say it's incomparably great power. In other words, God's power doesn't compare to anything we know or anything we have experienced. I wonder if you've ever experienced God's power at work in your life. 
So the word, again, for power is dunamis, and it means inherent power. It means power for performing miracles. It's inherent. In other words, it's not given to me at birth. It's given to me at new birth. And Macmillan Dictionary gives the legal definition for inherent. Get this. It is vested in someone as a right or a privilege. Can I tell you? That God, when I, when I came to Christ, invested his power in me. And now I have a right to use that power. It's my privilege in Christ. Do you understand? You have, you have a right to lay hands on the sick knowing they will recover because the very power of God resides within you. So his dunamis power is exceedingly great power. Flip over to 2 Corinthians 4.7. I want you to see this verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's this body. God's treasure, God's power in this body. So that the surpassing greatness of power, dunamis, will be of God and not ourselves. I love that. God wants us to know we have this power, but it's in earthen vessels. It's in broken people. And it's because he wants us to know that this power is nothing we could work up on our own. It is from him. It's something that we surrender to, that we don't work up, that we aren't good enough to earn. I want you to note in, in Ephesians 1, it's 119, it said, the exceeding greatness of his power is only towards those who believe. This power is not available to non-believers. I, I would even go so far as to say this power is not even tapped into for some believers. But it's only for those who believe. And here is the glorious news. There is no limit to God's power. However, we can limit it by our belief. One of the commentators I read said the word belief, and here's what I want you to hear. Get this deep if you miss everything else I say. His incomparably great power is at work in us who believe. And that word believe here refers not to an intellectual assent to the truths of the gospel, but a saving belief that affects the heart that it results in a transformed, supernaturally directed conduct based on truth and the truth believed. Thus, to believe is to obey and to stake one's life on the truth of the gospel, manifesting a lifestyle in accordance with the truth. Vine explains that genuine belief is a firm conviction of truth, a surrender to that truth, and conduct that results from that surrender. The conduct work doesn't save us, but it demonstrates the belief to be genuine. Here's what you need to hear me say. I, I'm, I'm really tired uh, of people playing this down. Rhea, I've been saved by grace and not by works so that no man can boast. Yes, you have been. You have been saved by grace. There was nothing you could do to earn it. You couldn't be good enough. You couldn't, you couldn't uh, give enough money. There's nothing you could do to earn salvation. You are saved by grace. It is a gift of God. However, the evidence of you being saved by grace. Remember, grace is God's enabling power. Grace enables us to obey. The Bible says we have been given grace for obedience. This distorted grace message pushes every button I have because we have been given grace for obedience. 
Obedience matters. It matters. And when I believe, those truths that I believe in will now apply to my life and it will transform me. And now my behavior is going to line up with that. So he says, this surpassing great power is available to you who believe, you who are exercising belief, you who are applying God's word to your life, you are who are walking in obedience, not perfection, obedience. But see, this is why the church is not walking in power, because obedience doesn't matter to us anymore. We want to live like hell and then lay hands on the sick and hope they recover. I am getting to the point in my life where I care more. Dave was just sitting here, and I leaned over and apologized to him for something. Because I was not about to stand up in this pulpit, and, and he was like, well, yeah, it's no big deal. And I'm like, it's a big deal to me. I, I'm not entertaining anything in my life that will interfere with the anointing of God in my life. I want the anointing more than anything I have ever wanted in my life. I want the power of God to be made manifest in my life more than I want anything in this world. And I will not compromise. I will not compromise because I want power and authority. I don't just want salvation. I want to win a world for him. And church, we have got to start rising up and looking different because until we begin to tap in to that power and that authority, until we begin to tap in to, to a dunamis power that, that radically affects the world, nobody's going to want our Jesus. And this world is never going to change. I can teach you about demonic influence, but you will have no power over it. If you are living like hell through the week and then expecting God to, to, to let you tap into his power, it's available for those who believe. Warren Wearsby said, it is the spirit who releases resurrection power of Christ in our life. Many Christians have been cut off from their source of power. Unbelief, unconfessed sin, careless living, worldliness in action or attitude, all of these things can rob us of power. And a Christian robbed of power cannot be used of God. A Christian robbed of power cannot be used of God. There's a scripture, and Sarah, I don't know if we have a screen for it, uh, a, a screen for it, 2 Corinthians 7.1. I want you to look at that. It says, therefore, since we have these promises... Oh, these are promises. These are promises that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within you. These are promises that he'll give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation that will rest upon you. These are promises that there's an inheritance that, that's waiting for you. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. You see, we have a promise of his power, but we need to daily purify ourselves from anything that would contaminate that power source. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who is talking there? John. Who is John? He's a believer. He's saying, if we, he's including himself, if we confess, I don't need to confess anymore, Rhea, I'm saved by grace. 
If we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to cleanse us, to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Purify yourself. Leslie and I, we pray together and we will sit before the Lord and just say, examine me, Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Just recently I was praying it and the Lord said, look it up. I have it memorized, wicked way in me. And there's a version that says offensive way in me. And I've started praying, saying, Lord, examine me. I need you to show me if I'm offensive to people. I need you to show me if there's offensive ways in me that people are looking at. Say, I I don't like that. I don't like her. She offends me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not asking him to not make make the gospel offensive. Because the Bible says the gospel is offensive. You need to trip over it. You need to be offended by it so it gets your attention. But I'm constantly saying, Lord, purify me from anything that contaminates me. It's interesting, I was thinking about uh, a power source, and my, my son, my grandson, Mason, but my grandkids call me, I have this shelf in my office of all these things that I FaceTime with them, you know, so I have puppets, and I have cars, and uh, they like monster trucks, I have monster trucks, I have dinosaur books, and I hold them up to the screen, and we play, and um, I have Easter eggs that have little things in them, and we crack them, and they look what's inside, and I just love it. But I have this um, dump truck that they're all afraid of. It, it is, you, when you turn it on, it, it shakes and, and it talks and, and it, uh, it goes honk, honk, and, and they're all afraid of it, <laughs> both of them. And, but now, just recently, Mason has gotten to a point where he's not so afraid of it anymore. And, and, and so I, I would just show it to him without activating the battery, turning on the battery power source. And as long as it's still and not doing anything, they're okay with it. Well, now Mason has suddenly become interested in it. And he'll, and so I'll show it to him and, and then he'll say, GB, honk, honk. <laughs> and that means he wants me to activate the power source. And so I flip on the, the power source, activate the battery in it, and it starts shaking and talking and honking. And, and he is now giggling over, uh, over this, um, this dump truck. But I was thinking about it. I was talking to him, and, and when I flipped that, that button to turn on the battery, the Lord said to me, there's a power source in you, Rhea. You like to shelf it and just turn it off, and, but I want it flipped on. I want you manifesting that power. Dave and I were, were talking about batteries in our car, and I, I read this. I took this directly off an automobile car website. If you notice corrosion on your battery, clean the terminals and the cable connectors right away. Let battery corrosion fester too long, and it could stop the battery terminals from conducting properly and harming the battery and the vehicle. So I said, Davey, tell me about battery corrosion. And he said, oh, you got to keep that wiped off because it'll, it'll destroy your car. And I tell you, purify yourself from anything that contaminates. You have a power source in you, and we have got to get it purified. We have to keep it clean because there's a power source that we want to connect to. I'm telling you, I want to connect to that power source. Every time I stand in this pulpit, every time I pray for somebody, I want to connect. I want to tap into that power source. Honk, honk. I want the power of God to move through me. So he says, purify yourself from anything that contaminates body and spirit. Where's B? 
People have been cut off by their source of power, by unbelief, unconfessed sin, careless living, worldliness in action or attitude. All of these things can rob us of power. It's limitless power, but it can be limited uh, by our unwillingness to, to allow it to work and by our unbelief that it can. Can I just promise you that all the power you need to endure pain and heartache is in you? All the power you need to perform signs and wonders is in you? All the power you need to overcome sin and temptation is in you? And that all-surpassing power is not from you, it's from God. And God who works in you, but we have to let him work. We have to yield to him in obedience. Turn over to Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. One of my favorite scriptures. I, I quote it often from the pulpit. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Look at that. To him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. Look, it, it means above measure. It means over and above. It means God can do way more than you can even ask or imagine. Oftentimes I'll pray for people and I'll say, here's a scripture for you. That I'm going to ask God to do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. And let me just tell you, dear one, I can ask and I can imagine a whole lot. So I'm asking big. And my God says that he'll do immeasurably more than that. See, I believe scripture. And, but what I didn't see until this week is, Sarah, look at it, according to, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. That word according to means in the same measure as or to the exact degree. That doesn't mean that God is limited and unable to do immeasurably more in my life because he's limited. It means it's according to the power that works in us. His power is unlimited. Do you know what limits the power that works in me? Belief. It's an exact measure to my belief, to the amount of belief, to, to, to my yielding to his power in my life. Weiss explains, God is able to do for us and answer our prayers according to the, uh, the, ephesus, the, ephesy, the efficiency, riches, and power of the working of the Spirit in our life. This latter is determined by the yieldedness of the believer to the Holy Spirit. Thus, the saint determines what God is able to do for him. In his inherent ability, there is no limit to what God can do in and through the saint. But the saint limits the working of God in and through him by the degree of his yieldedness to the Spirit. God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. I spoke at a conference this weekend, and uh, this woman came up to us. She'd had a broken back for 38 years. And she had had how many surgeries? It was like one a year. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. And, and she was in extreme pain. And she was an incredible worship leader. And, and I was like, you, that, that's a scheme. 
That, that is, a, that is a, a weapon of the enemy to, to limit you. And, and, and she said, well, Rhea, will you pray for me? And I said, you better believe I'll pray for you. And, and we began to pray. And, and, and as I was praying, I just felt like I, I, I was just praying in my own strength. But as I, as I continued to pray, in my mind, I was tapping into the power, the incredibly surpassing greatness of the power that was in me, I started to think, not, not in the natural, I started to think in the supernatural about this incomparably great power that God promised was in me. And as I prayed for her, something like a wave just came over me and I was like, did you just feel that? Because as I prayed, I felt like that power was coming up out of me and into her. That is what the church is called to do. That is how we take a world for him. I have every, every bit of confidence that she was walking away healed. Every bit of confidence because I felt it. I felt God's power rise up within me. But it wasn't because I was like, let me just pray some fine-sounding words over you. It was because I had an awareness and I had belief. I believe this stuff. I'm just telling you, call me crazy, call me whacked. I really don't care. But I believe what I'm preaching. And I believe there is power in the blood of Jesus. I believe he died so that people could be whole. I believe that he died so that I could be set free. I believe that he died and did not leave me as an orphan, that he left his Holy Spirit behind, and that he says, not me, he says that greater things will I do. But you know what he says that's dependent on? Belief. He said, greater things because you believe in me will you do than I even did. Why are we not doing that? Why are we not seeing that in the church? Seriously, why? Jesus, it's in red. He said it. He is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He means what he says. If he says, greater things should I do that I'll do than him, why am I not doing them? Karen, why are we not doing them? Because it's limited by belief and our yieldedness to the work of the Spirit. One commentator says, I believe we limit God from doing these things which are far exceeding and abundantly beyond what we can ask or think of because we don't get serious about our Christian walk. We want to have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. We're playing church and going through religious motions. And as long as we do, we will never tap into the abundantly more. Wayne Barber says we would rather have fear and bondage and worry and everything else holding us hostage instead of being dominated by the everlasting spirit of a living God. I don't want to limit, I don't want to limit him. I want to see his all-surpassing power. I want to see it. Verse 21 says that this power raised Christ from the dead and that he is now seated far above all rule and authority. Christ's authority, his lordship is far above all other authorities, all other rulers. That's why I'm talking to you about this before we go on learning about the demonic spirits. Because you need to have it settled in your mind that the power that's at work in you is, is way surpassing any power that the enemy might have. It includes both visible and invisible, this age and the age to come. Can I tell you, he has no rival. We sang that tonight. He has no equal. He is supreme over all. And we have to settle that in our mind, that the Christ in us is bigger than any power you will ever face. All things have been placed under his feet. 
He is above all things, not some. He has all authority. He's head over all things in this universe and head over all things in the church. And so because Christ is head over the church, Lord of all, and he has supreme head over all things, the church has become authority and power to overcome opposition because her leader is the head and Lord over all. Christ's power is adequate to overcome anything in our life because he is over all things and all things are under his feet. Scripture tells us that we do not battle against flesh and blood but against principalities and evil forces. But this passage tells us that even those evil forces are subject, they're subject to him. They're subject to Christ. So we don't need to fear attacks by the enemy or or any demons that we study about because he is victorious over all things. Lastly, look at verse 23. It says that the church, we are the fullness of him. We are full with his power and his life. And, And the result of that should be made manifest to a lost and dying world. Have you ever filled your car with gasoline? And Leslie... One time we were at a conference and, and she was filling up the tank and, and I was waiting at the, I don't know what I was doing outside the car. I guess I was just coming back. We were just talking. And I had cowboy boots on and they were over the top of my pants. And she was talking to me and she took the, the um, hose, the, the nozzle, out of the, the gas tank and she still had it pressed down and she was talking to me and she filled my boots with gasoline. Uh, so... Have you ever filled your car up with gasoline and then pulled out the nozzle and dripped some on your, on your foot or on the ground? God wants to fill us so much that we overflow into the world around us. And we should overflow with power. That power is not just for you. It's not just for me. It's not just to get me through my day. It is to affect a world for him, to win a world for him, to go out and manifest his presence. I, I read this story this week, and it made, me, it made me smile. There's a legend which tells how Jesus went back to heaven after his time on earth. Even in heaven, he bore upon him the marks of the cross. And the angels were talking to him, and Gabriel said, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men down there. I did, said Jesus. And, said Gabriel, do they all know about how you love them and what you did for them? Oh, no, said Jesus, not yet. Just now only a few people in Palestine know. What have you done, said Gabriel, to let everyone know about it? Jesus said, I have asked Peter and James and John and a few others to make it the business of their lives to tell others about me and others still and yet others until the farthest man on the widest circle knows what I have done. Gabriel looked very doubtful for he knew well what the poor, what poor men, what poor stuff men were made of. Yes, he said, but what if Peter, James, and John grow tired? What if the people who come after them forget? What if away down the 20th century, people don't tell others about you? Have you made any other plans? And Jesus said, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. To say that the church is the body of Christ, it means that Jesus is counting on us that we are his body in a lost and dying world. He wants us to do greater things than he did. He wants us to display his power. He wants signs and wonders. The Bible says signs and wonders will follow those who what? Believe. There's that word believe again. 
but we have to tap in to his power. And we do that by what was Paul praying for, that they would know him, getting to know him in his ways, by walking in obedience to his word, by surrendering and yielding to the work of his Holy Spirit in us, and by stirring the power of his Holy Spirit within us. I'm not sure when I say surrendering to the work of the Spirit within us that you understand what I'm talking about. Do you know that we can walk, the Scripture says, by flesh, or we can walk by the Spirit? We can be governed by the mind of flesh, or we can be governed by the Spirit. Do you, do you understand that? That means I have a choice every day of my life, every moment of my life to say yes to God and his ways or to allow my flesh to rise up and do what it wants to do. But everything I need to say no to that flesh is in me. The power of God is in me. And yet what we do is we, aren't even aware, we don't even pay attention to it. We say my flesh wants this, therefore I'm going to give in and let it indulge. But church, we have got to rise up to a place of maturity where we understand that God's, God's ways work and that his ways are the way of life. And that as he convicts us, as he, he brings uh, you know, conviction of his Holy Spirit, as he pricks us with his spirit and he says, don't do that or, or don't, don't, don't behave that way or don't say that thing. If we start to obey that voice, if we start to, to, to yield to that instead of our own stinky flesh, we become more like him. And his power can be greater manifested within us. But so often we think, oh, the flesh wants it, I'm going to give it to it. I'm working really hard right now to get weight off that I've put on because I have let my flesh rule and reign as far as food goes. I've made food a God. And the Lord made it very, very clear to me that that's what I was doing. If I wanted something, I ate it. And it didn't matter if this body that's getting old now would pay for it with stiffness and inflammation and, and, and I'd just be weary and tired. I have learned that I can say no to that thing. It's taken me a long time to get, on the, to get off the weight that I put on. It was a whole lot easier coming back on. But I've learned that my flesh cannot, cannot dominate. If I'm hungry, if I desire something, if I crave something, I can say no to it. That I can yield to the spirit, to the power in me, and say no to that thing. And it's working. And that's on a small level of what God wants us to do on a greater level with behaviors, with attitudes, with, with sin and temptation. So as we yield to the spirit instead of the flesh, senses power in greater ways. But, but I want to read one last passage for you to you before we close. I believe that there is a baptism of power. I just believe it. there is. And argue with me all you want, but I've done the study. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Acts 1, 1 through 7. This is Jesus speaking. These are actually his last words before ascending into heaven. He says, the former, the last words of somebody are major. My, my mama, when she died, her last words are still etched in my mind. The last words that somebody says to you before they take their last breath are always important. These were Jesus' last words. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day which he was taken up, 
after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. He said, for, God, for John truly baptized with, with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they've come together, they ask him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times nor the seasons that the Father has put on his own authority. And this is what I want you to, say, to see. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. He said, you shall receive power. That's dunamis. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. He came to live inside of you. But there is a big difference between him living in you and him living through you. Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that was given to you with the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame the, 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 the Holy Spirit that's in you. I want to just give you this illustration because it, just, it's, it says it much clearer than I could ever say it. I want you to pretend that this glass, and it's dirty less, this glass is your life. And this milk, it, this is just symbolic of your life without Christ. But now this chocolate, you know, the tasty stuff, this is the Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. See it? It's in there. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. I'm so grateful for that. He didn't leave you as an orphan. He gave you his Holy Spirit as a deposit. It sealed you for the day of redemption. Praise the Lord. But this is where most of us live our Christian life. Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gifts that were given to you with the laying on of my hands. Uh, Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And you'll be baptized. The word baptized means immerse. Some, I was sprinkled as a little girl in the Methodist church. And when I began to study the word and I found out that the word baptism means immersed, I said, I got to get immersed. I, I want to go under. I, I want to be completely submerged in that water. And so I made a decision to get baptized. Jesus said, John baptizes with water, but I come, and I'm going to baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. And, and that word baptism, again, is immersion. Have you been immersed in the Holy Spirit? I understand that, that he's come to live within you, but there's a difference between coming to live within you and you stirring and allowing that power to tasty stuff to go all through your life, to be immersed through your life, to be stirred up in you, and that tasty stuff to just come to the top and blend into your life and affect every ounce of your whole entire life. This is tasty. This is tasty. But if I let this sit here long enough, do you know what's going to happen? That chocolate's going to go right back down to the bottom of the glass. You are one of several of those places. You are either sitting here and your life is without Jesus, without the power of his Holy Spirit at all, untouched by the tasty stuff. If that's you, if I could beg you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would do it because you need Jesus. 
Or maybe you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and he came to live within you. He deposited his Holy Spirit within you. You're sealed for the day of redemption. Hallelujah, you're going to heaven. It's not by works. It's by grace. It's a gift of God. Praise the Lord. But I'm just here to tell you, you don't get like this by letting the chocolate at the bottom of the glass. Every single day, I ask the Lord to stir. Every single day, I tell him I, wanna, I, wanna, I want him to anoint me with power from on high. The Bible says, be ye filled. It's a continuous, ongoing filling. My mama used to say, Rhea, get yourself under the spout where the glory comes out. I position myself every single morning under the spout where the glory comes out. I said, Lord, I want fire in my bones. I want your word to consume my life. I want it to be like a fire in my bones. Do you want that? Do you want it? Somebody said about me the other day, that Rhea, all she does is think about Jesus. She needs to be in the world a little bit more. That's the best compliment anybody has ever given me in my whole entire life. Fault me for only thinking about Jesus. I said to Dave, is that all I think about? And he said, yes. <laughs> it's all I think about. It's all that matters to me. I'm not putting this on to impress you. In fact, some of you, you're like, she's whacked. I'm telling you, he is my life source. He is everything that I want in life. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to lay hands on the sick. I'm believing with every ounce of my being that everywhere I go, signs and wonders follow me because he is in me. He resides in me. His power is in me. And I want to demonstrate that to a lost and dying world who needs hope who needs to know there's something bigger than the government, who needs to know there's something bigger than COVID, who needs to know there's something bigger than unemployment, that there's something bigger than sickness, there's something bigger than demonic possession, that there's a power that resides in the believers across the United States that's going to take a world for him. We've got to start rising up, church. We've got to start rising up. One last quote, and then I want to pray for you. Um, and I'm going to have you pray for each other. Don't leave. Don't get weirded out. But listen to this. Precept Austin says, it's Samuel Chadwick. He writes, the church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is doomed to favor, to, to, to failure. Listen, the church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is doomed to failure. A ministry that is college-trained but not spirit-filled works no miracles. A church that multiplies committees and neglects prayer may be fussy, noisy, entertaining, and enterprising, but it labors in vain and spends its strength for naught. It is possible to excel in mechanics and fail in dynamic. There is a superabundance of machinery. What is wanting is power. To run an organization needs no, man, no, no God. Man can supply the energy, enterprise, enthusiasm for things human. The real work of the church depends upon the power of the Spirit. There are too many Christians trying to do the work of God without first being filled with God. If we are ever to see revival, we must have the power of God. 
The power of God in our lives is the result of being spirit-filled, and we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit and not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but to be filled with the Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit will result in power for service with souls being won to Christ and Christians growing in grace and knowledge. No one can do the work of God successfully without being filled with the Spirit. You say, I am filled with the Spirit. Yes, but are you saturated and immersed in him? Big difference. 